close to the end of the book of Acts. Just to jump to what's happening at the moment, uh, Paul got this incredible word from God in Acts 23. God says to Paul, uh, it says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. That is the promise God makes to Paul. Paul, knowing that, realizes whatever happens henceforth, God's promise of him getting to Rome is what's going to take place. In that uh, interim, Paul's arrested. He's close to being assassinated. He is sent to um, uh, Caesarea, where he's going to be held a trial. He's held before many, many people of, digni- of, of um, many dignitaries who look at his case. They all say that he is... Sorry, I want to move this across a little bit here. Who say that he is innocent, but yet he knows no matter what happens, Paul needs to get to Rome. Whether he's arrested, whether he's tried, whether there's an assassination threat, he's going to get to Rome. So this morning, I want to tell us four stories this morning. The first is going to be very long. It's the passage we're going to read this morning. We're going to read the whole of chapter 27, 44 verses. It's a story of uh, Paul's next part of his journey. So I'm going to read that. And then I want to tell us three shorter stories with some encouragement that I feel God wants to encourage us with this morning. All right, so let's get to our passage this morning. Acts chapter 27, verse 1. Firstly, let me just show you um, a map. The map might help you before I start reading. Um, This is um, the map of Paul's journey we're about to read about this morning. I thought it would be good that you see it, because often the visual helps. So Paul's there in Caesarea, down the bottom right of the screen. And you're going to see he's going to slowly start taking shorter trips by boat on his way to Rome, all the way in the top left. That's the journey. But it's going to get quite difficult when he gets to uh, Fair Havens in the middle of the screen. And that journey across to Malta is the one we're going to read predominantly about this morning. When actually they're going to face an incredible storm. They're going to be close to death and shipwrecked. But that's the journey he's on, on the way up to Rome. It's not a simple, you know, catch the closest flight, flight, gets uh, into the uh, lounge at Emirates and wait for the little three overlay over in Dubai and then you there in Rome and they welcome you there at the airport. It's not like that at all. It's him stop by stop by stop by stop while being under guard by soldiers, while with the whole crew and he's on his way across there. All right, so let's read chapter 27 verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramitium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we we put uh, in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for, which is great to see that along the journey, there are men and women who can love Paul. He's got community. He's not alone. There are friends who would care for him. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Mara in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and we arrived with difficulty off Cnidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, that was in the middle of the screen, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, 
Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. Now, whether Paul says that out of just wisdom, Paul's well-traveled, and he probably knows the seasons to sell, the seasons not to sell. He sees the season they're in and what they're about to embark, and he just suggests, listen, whether it's wisdom or whether it's the Spirit nudging him and saying, just be aware, he says to them, guys, just a heads up, if we go on this journey now, it's going to be rough, and we're going to lose some stuff, possibly even our lives. Are you sure you want to go on? Their response, verse 11, but the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said, which I guess for us would say, makes sense. Trust the pilot, trust the sailor, don't trust the prisoner. Paul's like, well, I know what God told me, I'm going to get to Rome, but hopefully you guys don't mind the trip yourselves. Verse 12, and because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest and spend the winter there. So they know this is a bit of a gamble, but the majority voted. Okay, verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon, a tempestuous wind. I love that word in the Bible. It just sounds nasty, doesn't it? Tempestuous. A tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and we were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Kaida, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, oh, sorry, please leave me alone. No, thank you. Sorry, I've got a voice here talking to me. No, stop. Okay. Sorry, give me a second here. This is the first time this demon's arisen. Wowzers. It's gone. Sure. All right. So, before that demon interrupted, I was in verse 18. Fantastic, thank you. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since we had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me. (laughs) We love those moments, don't we? Especially in front of these sailors. Men, you should have listened to me. Um... You should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. There will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God of whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. There's the promise. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. If you want to underline your Bible, underline this next verse. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. That's the emphasis of Paul's journey. Take heart, men, I have faith in God that it will be exactly as God has said. That's the faith 
Paul's in the same spot as every single one on that boat. They're all anxious and troubled, but he says, the Lord spoke to me. He's told me we'll get there. Take heart, for the God who's told me this, it'll come to be just as he has said. Verse 27. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A fathom's about 6 feet, about 1.8 meters. And so what they'll do is they'll drop a rope and try and work out how close to shore they are, and they'll take a sounding of measurement. A little bit further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, so they're petrified, so petrified, they're trying to sneak off the boat now. As they're trying to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. Soldiers stopped them from escaping. Paul says they've got to be here with us. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you've continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. That's 14 days of this craziness of fearing for your life of the storm. Therefore, I urge you, take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. I've underlined that in my Bible, because that's a prayer I hope prayer can, Paul can pray for me. Not a hair on your head will perish. Henny, there is hope, my friend. There are prayers that can be prayed. But Paul has this peace. He has this calm. He even convinces them to eat food. Despite the difficulty, he says, will you trust me? And they're turning to this place now of, let's trust him. When he had said these things, he took bread. And giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it. And he began to eat. They were all encouraged. The circumstance hasn't changed, but they were all encouraged and they ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they'd eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. And now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land, and they end up on the island of Malta. Let's hold the story there. We'll continue then the next time that we continue there. Quite an event, isn't it? The important start is, Paul knows from God that he has an appointment with Caesar in Rome. He knows he's going to get there. And despite the opposition, despite the circumstances, Paul knows that plan of God will not change. He's so convinced in Acts 27, let's remind ourselves of that moment in Acts 27, 23, when God reminds him in the midst of the storm, in the midst of, of, of desperation, in the midst of death, 
God says, this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God's granted you and all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. I have faith in God. It'll be exactly as I've been told. On this trip, that's what he is holding on to. Not the sailors, not the guards, the soldiers, not the weather, not the ship, but on the God and the promise of God that God has made to him. So the encouragement in the story is that Paul hears God's instruction. It's a promise. He holds on to it despite the circumstances. He will not lose faith. But then he also encourages those who are around him in the exact same circumstances to trust what God has said. He manages to bring peace to those who are anxious and they all get to live and not a single hair is lost, which is important to me. Hebrews 10, verse 23, speaking of this heart, speaking of this attitude in those moments, in those circumstances, the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold on to the promises of God. Let us hold on to the instructions of God. Let us hold on to the word of God. Let us hold on to the prophecies of God, the encouragements of God, the words of God, the whispers of God, without wavering, without falling left or right, without being tossed to and fro, without being shaken. Why? Because he who made the promise, he's faithful. He's always been faithful. God has not once been unfaithful. He's never made a promise that he's never fulfilled. That verse continues, let us consider then how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's, that's the encouragement. Now that you're standing on the word of God, now that you're not being um, uh, moved and shaken, you've got to encourage people around you that they too will not be moved and shaken. Let me look at um, the next two stories I want to mention, shorter stories from, from Scripture. I want to look at two other storms that happen in the Bible. The first other storm is with the story of Jonah, which we see in the Old Testament. A lot of you might know the story of Jonah. Jonah is disobeying God. Jonah is running in the opposite direction to what God has asked him to do. And while he's on run on a ship, they too meet an incredible storm. You must know that when sailors are petrified of a storm on water, that it's a proper storm, right? If I'm nervous, you can be fine because I'm just a land person. I love the land. I wasn't made for the sea. If I'm nervous, don't stress. It's probably okay. But when the sailors are nervous, you need to panic, right? The sailors are panicking so much so they cry out on the ship, everybody, wake up and pray to your God that we would be saved. And they find Jonah sleeping. And they say to Jonah, what are you doing? Wake up. And I love this phrase. They say, call to your God that he may save us. Call to your God that he may save us. You see, friends, in desperation, the world wants us to call out to God that they may be saved. In desperate moments, people can't rely on their finance. People can't rely on their retirement plan or a holiday home. They can't rely on the systems of this world. In desperate moments, all they could do is call out to God. And they say to Jonah, call out to your God that he may save us. Jonah knows how to save them. He knows the problems himself. So he knows how to save them. But this is the response the world makes in these desperate moments. And 
our hope as the church is that the world would call out to God not only in times of trial and tribulation, but always. And I think about after 9-11, that tragic moment in 9-11 in America. The days that followed 9-11, the churches were full of people praying. Why? They were in desperation. They didn't know where to turn. There was such fear and anxiety and trouble. Lord, what is going on? God, I've never prayed to you for such a long time, but here I am back in desperation. The world calls to God in desperation. Um, We heard a couple of weeks ago the story of Dunkirk when 380,000 soldiers were stuck on the shore of Dunkirk. And what does King George tell the UK to do? Pray. And it says the chapels were filled with people. Lions were praying, God, we need a miracle in desperation. We don't know what to do. And God rescues 380,000 soldiers off the shores of Dunkirk. The point in that story, friends, is that, that, that phrase of wake up and pray. The world is saying to us, the church, wake up. Wake up and pray to your God. Why? Because we need saving. With Paul... Is everyone okay there? Okay. No one needs saving. This is okay. With Paul, the situation is similar as well. With Paul, they need saving. They're desperate. The guards ignored Paul, but now they've come to a place of desperation. Stop listening to the sailor. Listen to this man, Paul. God's told him something. Do what he says. I'll even cut the boats for those who are trying to escape. He's heard from God. We need saving. When the storms are about, friends, the world needs saving. And who do they call upon? Us. Wake up, church. Pray for the world needs saving. The other story of the next storm is with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus says to his disciples, let's get upon a boat and we're going to sail across the sea to that land and we'll get there. He said, we're going to go across and we're going to get there. Right? That's what Jesus says. And he falls asleep on the boat. And again, There are fishermen on the boat. If fishermen start panicking because of the storms, you ought to panic. Because they know waters, they know in a good storm and a bad storm, this is a bad storm. They start panicking for their lives in desperation. They wake up Jesus and say, Jesus, we need you. We're about to die. We're in despair. And what does Jesus do? I'm sure he needed the sleep. I'm sure he valued this moment of sleep. So one, he's maybe a bit annoyed, like, guys, I've been ministering all day long, and this is my moment of sleep, and you wake me up. And he says to them, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Then he speaks a word and the storm calms down. And they get across to the other side. He challenges them. What is the lack of faith Jesus is challenging his disciples with? Well, he said to them, we're going to get to the other side. Did he not say that? He said, get on the boat, we're going to get there. He didn't say... My friends, we'll get to the other side. Unless a storm comes, then we probably won't. He didn't say that. He didn't say we'll get there unless we hit something. Then we won't. He said we will cross to the other side. Have faith in what I've said. And have faith because I'm with you. I won't let a storm take our lives, especially if I've said we'll get to the other side. Now, I'm not sure if Paul would have known of this story or this event that happened. But he definitely learned the lesson, right? Jesus said to Paul, you will get to Rome. Paul knows he'll get there. A storm might come. The ship might run aground. They might have to swim to the shores of Malta. But whatever comes their way, 
Because God said it, they will get to the other side. They will get to where God wanted them to be. You will not die on the ship. He's convinced. Paul is convinced because Jesus told him this is how it will be. The last story of the four this morning. Jesus uh, has taught, he's preached, and the fishermen are there. And he says to the fishermen, Peter being one of them, let's go out upon the water. Why don't you get your nets and cast your nets for some fish? Now them being fishermen, they've just spent the day, the night fishing and they've caught nothing. And they spend time now cleaning their nets, despondent, defeated. They've had a rough day at work. And now Jesus, imagine being a professional fisherman, being told by a carpenter to go and fish again. They could have easily said, Jesus, thank you, but no thank you. We know what we're doing. There's no fish. This is not worth it. We've just cleaned the nets. No. But then Peter says something quite profound. And it's the phrase I want us to focus on for the rest of this morning. Peter says, Jesus, we tried, we didn't catch anything, but because you say so, because you said so, that's the powerful statement, isn't it? But Jesus, because you say so, we'll do it. We'll try. Reluctantly, we'll try. But because you say so, they go out, they cast their nets, they caught so many fish, they had to call a second boat to come and help them. And even a second boat wasn't enough. You know why? Because Jesus said so. See, friends, sometimes what God will ask of you and me to do does not make much sense. Sometimes the reality, friends, of what we're facing is so overwhelming that perhaps you've lost hope. Perhaps, friends, when the storms come, and unfortunately the storms will come, you have fear, and you notice the storms, and you're in despair, and you're in trouble. But let me ask you a question. When those storms come, when the difficulty comes, have you heard God? Have you heard God speak to you? Did he say something to you? Has he promised something to you? And then do you still believe that despite the storm? Despite the circumstance that you're in, do you value what God has said more than the circumstance you're in? You see, Paul knew God's promise and he stood on that despite what he faced. And you know why? Because Jesus, you said so. All because Jesus said so. It's important to note that although Paul had this assurance from God, that God was in control, that God was directing the affairs of what would take place, that God would make sure this would happen, Paul didn't just sit passively and wait, right? Paul did something. Paul had to get up. He had to encourage the rest. He had to tell them, trust the word of God. Stop doing that. Start doing that. Eat some food. Let's break bread. Let's pray. There's stuff that we get to do in the storms, but there's so much that God does in the storms. But our faith is because you say so. Friends, probably the greatest moment in history of uh, because you say so was when Jesus finds himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying hours before he's about to be betrayed, hours before he's about to be crucified. And while praying to his father, he says, Father, if this cup can be passed, if me being crucified, if me carrying the sin of the world and ultimately me being rejected and the wrath of you, Father, being poured upon me, if I can overlook that, if, if, if that can be avoided, let this cup be passed. And the father says, Jesus, this is the way. There's no other way. And what does Jesus say? 
because you say so, I'll do it. The greatest because you say so moment, Jesus responds in obedience and Jesus responds in love. Jesus said, because you say so for us, we're saved today, friends, because Jesus said to the Father, because you say so, I'll do what is very, very difficult. So friends, for us as the church, we're the church that Jesus is building, the church Jesus is still building. But for us to be that church, we need to be a church that builds on you say so, Jesus. That's got to be our culture. That's got to be our life. That's got to be our response. Jesus, because you say so. We might be on a boat in a storm. And the world would say to God's people, wake up. We need saving, just like with Jonah. Lord, because you say so, we will obey. Friends, the world is in a storm right now. The world is panicking. The news is fretting. There's so much going on. People are talking about end times. People are talking about worry here. What about that? What about this? And you know what they're doing? In desperation, they're seeking truth. And we are the church. Lord, what do you say now? And we need to be the voice in that moment, on that ship, in that storm, saying, let me tell you what God says. And it will come to pass because God says so. Friends, we might be on a boat in a storm. And Jesus has told you where you are going. You might be in a storm right now and you're wondering, Lord, where are you leading me? You don't know where you're going, just like with the disciples. Will we get there? Friends, do not lose faith. You know why? Because Jesus, you said so. You said we'd get there. You've promised we'd get there. I know some of you are on a journey right now. You do not know what your next month holds. Has the Father spoken? Has Jesus said something? If he has, hold him to that, not the storm. Because he said so. You might be on a boat and the storm comes. Will this be your end? Is this your doom? Is this your fate? Are these your final days? Some of you are not well. You're sick and you're wondering, Lord, in this storm, is this it? Are these my days? We're praying for men and women at the moment who are looking at perhaps death looming right there. The storm is there. Will this be your end? No, Jesus made a promise. Because he said so, we're going to get through this. We too will get through the storm. Friends, you might be exhausted, tired, and despondent. There might be no fish in your life. And that's not a, a dating phrase for the singles out there, right? You know, there's many fish in the sea. We're not talking about that. You might be despondent. You might be defeated. And like with the disciples, we caught no fish. What did the Lord say? Keep casting your nets. For there is much that God wants to give you. There is much that God wants to provide for you. There is much that God says He wants to give to you. Why? Because He said so. Cast your nets again, friends. Because Jesus says so. Paul lived on because you said so, Lord. His faith was on because you said so. This needs to be us as a church. We do what we do because Jesus said so. We go where we go because Jesus said so. Henny and Zelda are going where they go because they're asking of the Lord, where do you want us to go? And if you say no, we don't go there. But if you say yes, we go. And if you ask them, why have they done this year what they've done? Because the Lord said so. And they go. We partner, we support, all because Jesus says so. So here's the challenge. When last did you hear Jesus? 
Because friends, if we don't hear Jesus, we cannot say he said so, can we? We can't say, I think he might have said, <laughs> or I think Jesus suggested, or Jesus winked once with the right eye. And I think he said if he winks once, it means I should do this. We don't live on that faith, friends. We don't live on, I think Jesus said, or perhaps Jesus said, or he might have said, he might have suggested. Friends, we have to get to hearing Jesus for ourselves. We can hear God. You have to believe this. We can hear God speak to us. Perhaps even this morning, he's speaking to you right now. Listen to that voice. Take note of what he is saying. We need to seek his voice. We need to read the Bible. We need to pray. But we need to listen. We need to ask God for answers. We need to ask God for direction. We need to ask God for truth. It has to come from Him. And then when you hear His voice, respond. Because He said so. The fantastic news in all of this is that God's providence is all over our lives. The idea of God's providence is that God is sovereign. God is in control of all things. God is intimately involved in the daily workings of your life to sustain you and to direct you according to his will and according to his plan. Romans 8:28 says, "We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good." Those all things, friends, are mostly bad things. God's not going to always work good things for good. They're already good. He's going to work the bad things for good because that's who he is. That's what he does. And he does it for those who are called called according to his purposes. No, friends, no matter what you're going through right now, there are storms in this building right now. Stand on the word of God. Stand on his promise. He's with you. He won't leave you. He's with you in the midst of it. And he says, hold on to my promise. Hold on to my word. You know what the beautiful news is? We know the end. We know the end of the story. I loved uh, Clint's analogy. There's Clint there. Clint's analogy the other day. Yo, if you had to go back and watch the rugby quarterfinals, semifinals, and the rugby finals, we'd all again just lose a few years on our life because of the nervousness of watching those games. When you watch them live, some of you just couldn't walk the next day because you were just broken and defeated. But when you watch it again, knowing the end score, oh, you have peace. You're like, ah, oh, let him knock it on. Oh, let him miss the try. Oh, score your try. Go celebrate. Go do your haka. You do your thing. I know what the score is going to be at the end of the game. I know how this is going to end. Do what you want. We don't mind. Give him, give him a yellow card. Go sit down, Cheslin. Go rest. The job is done, my boy. Friends, the Bible tells us the end. It tells us the score. Jesus has won. And no matter the storm, he says, it's okay. I've already won for you. Keep going. Don't lose heart. Don't be despondent. We know what it's like. Last point, friends. What is your voice like in the storm? You see, Paul had to calm them all down. Relax, friends. God has spoken. He has told me. Eat food. Be at peace. It'll be okay. No one will die. But friends, sometimes for us as the church, in the midst of the storms, we're like, guys, we need to panic. Find your bunkers. Hide away. 
get your batteries and baked beans and just hide. Because the world is bad. Sometimes we're telling guys, just pack up, just, just, just kneel and pray. Kneel and pray. Guys, that's not what Jesus asks us to do. He says, keep preaching the gospel. Keep going. Keep going. Keep doing. Keep having faith. Keep standing strong. Wake up, church, and pray. The world needs saving. Our voice needs to be strong. Our voice needs to be faithful, confident, full of courage, full of hope, full of peace, because we know the score, and this is our call forevermore, and the world needs saving.